Well, hey, uh, as the Nortons mentioned a little bit earlier, um, each year here at Wellspring, we are a part of a movement of churches called the Advent Conspiracy. It's, it's kind of thousands of churches across the United States that are, are kind of rethinking Christmas and what does it look like to really celebrate Christmas in a way that would really honor Christ and what his message brings to the world. And so each year we kind of uh, challenge our congregation to consider um, how they're spending their money at Christmas. And could you reallocate some of that money um, and, and give it to some kingdom works here in St. Joe, as they said, uh, you know, some places that are just bringing light into the city um, that might need that money more so than we need another shirt or whatever it might be, another gift card somewhere. So um, in the back of the sanctuary, the, the four different ministries we're going to be highlighting this month are there uh, with some information and a little bucket that if you want to donate specifically to something that kind of tugs on your heart, you're welcome to do that. Um, this week, uh, also last week, we handed out these little cards here for your fridge. It's got a little magnet on the back. Um, each week as we present um, a ministry, there's going to be kind of a participation thing for you uh, if you'd like to get involved in things. So this past Friday, we fasted um, to kind of uh, pray for Food for Kids, um, a, a ministry that feeds hungry children here in our neighborhood. This week, we're going to be highlighting Young Life. And on this card, there are some times for some of the Young Life clubs this week. And we're going to be inviting people to come and pray with the Young Life leaders before club. Um, and so Benton uh, Club meets at uh, the Young Life office, which the address is right there at 630. Uh, Central's Club is at the Keatley Center. Um, so Wednesday, we're going to meet to pray. And that time should say 715 instead of 630. So if one of those two times works for you to come by and just get to know who some of the Young Life leaders are, in our church and also just in our community, and to pray for them, that would be awesome. Also, there's a wildlife um, club. That's the middle school ministry. Um, they're having a late night deal this Saturday, so um, we could use some candy, snacks, and drinks for those things this week, and I'll send out an email reminder with that as well. So um, this morning, we're going to be highlighting uh, the ministry of Young Life, and um, I and my wife both came to Christ um, at Young Life Camp um, and uh, so it means a whole lot uh, to me, very significant step for a lot of folks in our congregation um, that, that really, um, whose lives were changed through that experience. Um, as a former Young Life Director of St. Joe, I know the financial implications of what it means to try to take kids from St. Joe to a camp in Colorado or Arizona or wherever it might be. There's definitely financial implications of that. Phil's Waring, who's the director for Young Life here that comes to our church, said they, they spend about $80,000 a year um, in kids going to camp, um, and about 25000 of that they have to raise to help scholarship and fund kids going. So um, it's, a, it's a significant challenge each and every year, and every community is different. Um, St. Joe definitely has its share of needs for that. So this morning, um, we're going to come and bring up uh, Justin May, who is a central graduate um, who was impacted by Young Life, and, and especially the camping portion of that, and who is now the head leader at Benton High School. So Justin, come on up and share a little bit about your story with us this morning. Is all right if I use this? Okay, cool. All right, as Bob said, um, my name's Justin. Um, I am the head leader down at Benton High School, so I kind of partner with the group of volunteer leaders, and we kind of head up that ministry down at Benton. So we're just there to hang out with kids and build these um, genuine relationships with them so where we can then speak, you know, spiritual fruit into their life about who Christ is and kind of what um, he's done for us and then how, you know, they relate to his story and how they can be in a relationship with him. 
Um, I can remember back when I was in high school, as a little punk high school kid, I had no idea what Young Life was, um, and I had no idea what I was even getting into when I was um, invited to my first Young Life club. And um, from there, it totally transformed my life. I mean, I went to camp my senior year, and um, once again, I didn't have no idea what I was getting into, but then um, one of the nights, um, the camp speaker said, hey, we're going to send you out to the camp with all the lights off, and we're going to ask you just to pray for maybe the first time in your life, talk to God, and um, ask him to reveal your heart. Um, and so I went out just thinking, okay, well, I'm going to go and just sit there. I didn't know really what to say. I've never prayed before. Um, so I started talking and just like, hey, God, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you right now. I mean, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I look up, and we went to camp in Colorado, so we were on the side of a mountain, and I look up and I see the Big Dipper, like, huge, like, right in my face. I've never seen it so big before, and all of a sudden I just started sobbing. In, like, two seconds later, I was like, why am I even crying? I have no idea what this even means. But um, in that moment I had come face-to-face with how broken I was, um, but also at the same time came into realization of how beautiful God was. And um, I accepted Christ um, at Young Life Camp. And so Young Life Camp is a really awesome tool that God uses to um, impact high school kids. I mean, it's so beautiful how um, they present the gospel in a way that kids cling to. Um, I mean, at the camp there's no TVs. We take their phones away. I mean, there's not even a clock anywhere on campus to where they can ask what time it is. We literally take them out of their reality and put them into God's reality for a week. And for most of them, it changes their life. It's changed mine. I mean, I don't know where I would be right now if I had not gone to Young Life Camp. Um, And so the importance of it is that we just all think that, you know, every single kid deserves to hear the gospel. Um, And not just to hear it, but to live it out as well. And so that's what kind of Young Life Camp does. And with the help of you guys, we are able to send kids to camp to where they can experience um, just the best week of their life. You'll hear that a lot, that Young Life Camp is the best week of their life. And it's not only because of how fun it is, because it's an awesome time, but because their lives are changed for eternity. I mean, I can't think of anything better than to spend eternity with my high school friends in heaven. And I mean, that's a beautiful thing. So like I said, with the help of you guys, you guys make that possible for us to do. Um, and without you, we wouldn't be able to do that. So that's all I got. Thank you. Well, last week we began, um, we kicked off our Advent series and we began our discussion on some of the biblical themes of light. And we discussed how God appeared um, to Moses in a burning bush and um, told him that he would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. We learned that God used a pillar of fire to lead the Israelites out of Egypt where they had become slaves. Later on in the journey, God told Moses that no human could see his face, the purest expression of glory, and live. Moses went on to spend 40 days alone on Mount Sinai in God's presence, and when he came down from the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because the people were afraid to look at him and come near him because his face was shining so brightly and it was radiant from being in the presence of God Almighty, the one true light. And as I was kind of thinking about what what did this pillar of fire look like, I did a little research on what this massive bright light could have looked like on Google, and this image literally popped up. We can show that. 
Maybe. <laughs> that is a legitimate um, illuminating uh, McDonald's billboard in Chicago lighting up the Chicago skyline. Who would want to follow that thing? Leading you to the land of endless Big Macs. So I thought that was cool that that showed up. So anyway, kind of breaking the ice here. It's a gloomy day trying to get some laughter going. So those are just a few examples of how God uses light and how he used light in the Old Testament um, to show his love and heart and character. And the Israelites and the people of the Old Testament knew the importance and symbolism of light. They were familiar with God's creation of light in Genesis, and they were familiar with how light was often a symbol of life through God's salvation, his commandments, and God's presence. And finally, last week, um, Bob kind of talked to us and walked us through 1 John, where we learned that God is light, and what light does, God does, and what light accomplishes, God accomplishes. And we talked about how light reveals, how it saves, and how it energizes. And so today, we turn our attention specifically to Jesus, the light of the world. And around 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah gave this prophecy about Christ. Thank you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And Isaiah describes Christ as the one who would be the great light to all humanity. So we move from, in the Old Testament, nobody being able to even see God's face, because if they did, they would die, because no man could see his face, the purest expression of holiness and glory and live. We move from that, and we shift to God becoming human, sending his Son, who was also fully God, because of the Trinity, and taking on flesh and blood, becoming a man. And Paul wrote this in uh, the book of Philippians to kind of emphasize this point. He said, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So in Christ, humanity now had a perfect example of the presence of light that can not only be looked at, but who would also be someone that could be touched and heard and someone who could become a brother and a friend. So let's dive into our passage today. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to John chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 1, 1 through 14. It should be page 739 if you're using a pew Bible. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, 
the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word John is referring to here is Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning, he was God, and he was with God. And verse 4 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. If you look at that again, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In him was life, and every kind of life imaginable is found only in Jesus Christ. One commentator put it best when he wrote, Jesus Christ, the creator, provides spiritual life, uh, physical life. Jesus Christ, the redeemer, provides spiritual life. And Jesus Christ, the savior, provides eternal life. And the life that he provides is the light of all mankind. Now, the word light is used seven different times in this short passage. And I think it's important to remember the context in which John originally wrote this book. Um, He wrote this book about 1,900 years ago. And so uh, the imagery of light probably doesn't mean to us what it meant to his original hearers and the people that he was writing to. Because for the most part, light was only really present during the day when the sun was up and maybe a little bit at night when the moon was shining. But when the sun went down, it was dark, and they did not have electricity 1,900 years ago. No light bulbs, no flashlights, no cell phone lights, no street lights, no yard lights, and no car lights. They had ancient lamps and candles to kind of help give some light in their small homes. But when the sun went down, it was complete darkness. So keep that in the back of your head when understanding this imagery of light. And human beings, this is the reality, more than any creature on earth, reflect the light of Christ. We are the only creatures made in the image of God who are able to understand truth and to have true intellect, and we have the ability to reason. In Proverbs 20, 27, this is a very fascinating passage, says this, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. I want you guys to kind of read that a few times to yourself. I'd love to get some feedback on how that verse speaks to you. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. How does that speak to you guys, anybody? Apparently, I want to hear some people over here because I'm lingering on this side. Searching all the inner depths of his heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, God knows our heart. He knows what's in it. He's constantly searching. Who else? I had never even heard of this passage until I studied this. Yes, Reverend. When I think about it, I think about um, if all you have is a candle, like you have to get pretty close to something to see something with it. It's not like a big, huge light you can stand from a distance. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, it's like if you're going to get to the inner depths of his heart, like you have to have somebody who's very close. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got a candle that's going to 
God's closeness to us as he searches us. You know, it's not like a huge floodlight, but it's, it's a candle. It's, it's a gentle light, I mm. guess, as opposed to just like overwhelming. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a candle is a small light as opposed to a big billboard light. And when it's close and it's gentle, and so that describes how near God is to us. That's great. Christ alone lights this candle. You can keep that up for a minute if you want. In our hearts, and we believe in his name and put our trust in him. And because Christ illuminates, we're uh, able to better see ourselves in the way in which we operate that do or don't reflect his character. And being in the presence of Christ changes us. Just like it did Moses, our face might not physically radiate If it does, that's cool. I've never seen that, but that would be cool. But it changes our heart. It causes us to shine little by little. When we study the life of Christ in the New Testament, you're going to learn how we're called to live when you spend time in prayer and confession and giving thanks and rejoicing. Little by little, our hearts start to shine and illuminate. And God even uses other people to shine on us so that we can better understand his glory. And perhaps an embarrassing story of myself will shine some light on this. I, um, I am not one on scary movies. I hate scary movies or horror movies or anything like that. And um, I don't like watching something for 90 minutes or two hours that's going to make me feel terrified and extremely uncomfortable. I don't like blood and gore. Um, when I, literally, my heart sinks when I see a dead squirrel in the road. Um, I've been like that, been that way since I was like in elementary school. But several years ago, a couple friends of mine invited me to go watch one of the uh, Paranormal Activity movies. Anybody ever seen one of those? Just one person, right? Liars, <laughs> liars. I was invited to go watch one of the Paranormal Activity movies. If you're not real familiar with those, they're basically just a psychological thriller. What it is is this family sets up some some uh, cameras in their home so they can catch whatever it is that is causing these weird, freaky, crazy things to happen to them throughout the day and in the evening. So a lot of the movie, you're just sitting there watching film as the hours kind of roll by on the clock, and you just wait, and you just know something creepy and freaky is going to happen. The wind's going to start picking up. Um, The pool cleaner is going to mysteriously make its way out of the pool and start walking on the lawn. The the uh, kitchen cabinets are going to start rattling at three in the morning. That movie messed me up. It literally like scarred me for probably three to four weeks straight. And the first thing I did when I got home, I kid you not, I walked into my house, I grabbed the duct tape, and I duct taped my curtains to the walls so that not even one little crack or crevice somebody could or something could like see what I was doing inside my house. Because I didn't want anybody to mess with me. Because I knew something was out to get me. It wasn't a person, but something was out to get me. And as I look back on that stupid night and how dumb that story is, I remember when I turned the light on when I walked into my house after watching that horrible movie, I immediately felt at ease. I felt much more at ease the second I turned that light on for several reasons. I could navigate my way around the house once I had some light. I could see clearly so that my life could be saved from some creature that I knew was out to get me. Nick, yeah, what's up? (laughs) Laughing. Three, it took away my fear of what could be in the darkness. And it clearly revealed to me what was in my house. 
And it's such a stupid example, I know. But in the same way, Jesus does all of those same things for us, doesn't he? He helps us navigate through the difficulties of life. He takes away our fear. He saves us from our sin. And he reveals to us the condition of our heart so that we can better honor him and reflect him to others. Pastor John Piper, he had this to say, talking about the light of Christ. He said, He will be the light in which you see mountains and valleys and oceans and rivers and trees and animals and people. Nothing will be the same again when you have him as your light. Everything looks different in the light of Christ. Yes, even earthquakes and tsunamis and suffering and death. Even now, his light will help you bear the sorrows of darkness. It will be a soft glow to comfort you in your lonely room after the devastating loss. It will be a lamp on your troubled path. It will reveal the wise and loving face of God behind every frowning providence. Everything looks different in the light of Christ because when we were in tune with him and allowing him, as Proverbs says, to search our hearts, we're going to see things from his perspective. So when life starts to kick us in the rear and throw us curveballs, we can be confident and know that he's standing right by us whispering, don't be afraid because I'm here, I'm with you. We start, when we start to see ourselves more clearly, we'll start judging people less and look down on others less because we're aware of the sin in our own hearts. And we start to see our identity as his sons and daughters as the monumental truth in our life much more important than whether or not our circumstances are turning out how we'd like them to. And when Christ took on the form of man and became flesh and blood about 2,000 years ago, he illuminated people in a very physical way, a very tangible way. People could see him, touch him, talk to him, be near him. And those people specifically needed to hear things that would illuminate their hearts. They needed to know that he was the total fulfillment of all the prophecies that them, the ancient Israelites, had been waiting for for centuries. They needed to know that it was only through him and not obeying the Jewish laws that they could know the one true God. And even though Christ isn't physically walking here among us, that would be cool, his illumination continues year after year, decade after decade, and century after century. And he always stands with an extended arm, offering us light and offering to guide us through life. And there are several stories in the New Testament where Jesus restores sight to physically blind people. And those are often just a metaphor for spiritual blindness. Of course, God wants people to physically see, but even more so, he wants people to be able to spiritually see. And Light is a revealing process. And so as we enter in Christ and he takes away some of our spiritual blindness, God in his mercy doesn't allow us to see everything at once in our hearts. If he showed us all the sin and greed and lust and jealousy that we have in our hearts at the same time, the guilt and shame and sorrow that we would feel would probably be enough to lead most of us to a heart attack. I know it would myself. So in his mercy, he reveals things slowly and continually throughout our lives. And he's in Christ's light is the continual, it's a continual revelation 
that helps us, helps us see him more clearly. And he's in the continual build us, um, business of rebuilding our hearts and turning them into something beautiful that portray his love and grace. And I think C.S. Lewis put this well, this idea of constantly um, um, rebuilding our hearts when he wrote this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. We're going to close today by looking at John eight twelve. It says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light. So far this Advent, we've looked at how God is light, to how Jesus is light. And despite his light and presence in our life, we still often um, um, decide to live in darkness. So next week, we're going to be looking at just the reality of our choice to often live in darkness. So uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time, God, for your word, for how you are the light of all mankind, God, and it is through you, Jesus, that we have every kind of life imaginable, physical, spiritual, and eternal. God, I pray as that verse talked about just the candle, God, that you shine in our hearts. God, I pray that we would open our hearts to allow you to shine that candle to reveal to us just some of the dark corners, God, in every area that maybe doesn't reflect you, God. And I pray that we would be encouraged, God, in ways when we get things right, when we do honor you, God, with our life and our thoughts and our actions. God, we thank you that you are the perfect example of light and life to us as humans, God, and that you've given us the ability to understand truth, God, and to think clearly and to have intelligence, God. We thank you for that. I pray that God, through this Advent season, that you would be our focus, that we would be preparing our hearts for what's to come, God, so that we can hear your voice. God, help us to create space to hear your voice clearly during this crazy season of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us.